this panel, um, first speakers are Sylvia Dudley and Nino Strachey. Um, both, both are involved in the project more broadly than this conference. Uh, Sylvia, I think your first, your first experience of the project, we, we, you were employed for two weeks to make a list of Jewish country big. houses, but to start <laughs> with, it's, gone, no, it's, it's never stopped, but it started with two weeks well, to make a list, well, you came up with a hundred, nearly a hundred. European country, Jewish yeah. country houses, and I got crazy. <laughs> I had a background, I did a PhD on Chernusky, which was a banker, French banker, Italian <laughs> banker. But obviously, because I was exploring his, yeah. uh, his activity as a collector in the 19th century, I, I did touch all these Jewish bankers, yeah. and this is why and, you and Yeah, in those me. first two weeks, you got nearly but 100. But then was God crazy. how I mean, many we have now. now. It's, it's it was so difficult to identify. And, and, and Nino Strait, she head of research at the National Trust, is, is now involved in other ways, because she, as Abigail said this morning, is a, is a great force of strength in um, encouraging National Trust curators to think about the lights that this particular... Um, theme throws upon National Trust Houses. So, uh, in Walpole's footsteps, Brian and Stern at Strawberry Health. So, I will introduce briefly, because with Nino we will share this presentation. Interestingly enough, uh, uh, Strawberry Hill, that was the Oros Walpole House, has been uh, two successive owners, uh, Lady Walgrave and successively uh, the Stern family, and both this family uh, these people are well, Jewish, of Jewish origin, so it's an interesting destiny. Uh, Strawberry Hill was built by the writer and collector Horace Walpole between 1751 and 1776, and is generally considered as the first example of genuine Gothic revival in England. The current interpretation of the house is clearly very much focused on Walpole and his neo-Gothic literary and artistic achievements, as well as on his interest in national history and his endeavours as British antiquarian. Moreover, a lot of relevance has been given to the recent restoration of the house, only concluded in 2010, which was philologically realized in order to bring the original 18th century features back to the house. In reality, already at the time of Walpole, the house presented distinctive French Rococo traits. Walpole openly embraced the fact that, although he liked the Gothic style, he also wanted to live in a house which provided all of the modern comforts. In particular, he wanted his house to show what he called French gaiety, gaieté. Walpole traveled extensively in France in the 1770s and he had a relation with famous French collectors and savants of his time. He collected French historic portraiture. He was a passionate reader of French contemporary literature and gossip, a strenuous purchaser of French decorative arts and one of the first collectors of Seth Porcelain. When the Austrian writer Steven Zweig which was mentioned before, wrote his biography of Marie Antoinette in 1932, he regarded Walpole's correspondence as one of his most reliable sources of information. Walpole's interest, interest in French or Italian art and culture has been largely overlooked in favour of, of, of a more national interpretation of the villa. The same lack of interest has also been shown uh, for the successive owners of Strawberry <coughs> Lady Walgrave and the Stern family, whom interestingly shared Walpole's passion for French arts and culture. Furthermore, Lady Walgrave and the Stern impact on the house is still per perceivable, and here we have a few signs, uh, through uh, the architectural details and surviving works of art inside the house. Despite this, 
the biography as, and the ways they recorded and used Strawberry Hill have never been systematically researched or included in the official interpretation of the house and are currently completely omitted from any form of public communication of the museum and its contents. It goes without saying that uh, being Jewish and part of a Jewish, uh, of Jewish networks has failed so far to arouse the slightest interest in those who visit the house. With Nino Strachey, we would like to introduce Lady Walgrave and the Stern family to your attention and explore what their, what their biographies and their use of Strawberry Hill tell us about Jewishness in England during the 19th century. And I pass the word to uh, Nino. Let me see. Oops. And it's here. I've been, I've been instructed. Can we switch hey. off yeah, like the lights? So, I'm going to talk about Frances Braham, the owner of Strawberry Hill from 1846 to 1879, uh, and she inherited Strawberry Hill as the widow of the seventh Earl, Waldegrave. Now, according to her third husband, Vernon Harcourt, uh, Frances Braham was a woman who broke all the rules. Um, and that view of Frances Braham is repeated right up until the 20th century when Harold Nicholson, reviewing her biography in the uh, 1950s, said... How came it that the daughter of a flamboyant and generally bankrupt Jewish singer should so early have become and so long have remained a leader of Victorian society? How came it that a woman who had four husbands in such rapid succession <laughs> did not incur the disapproval of an age that was so strictly monogamous? How came it that a widow who married within a few months her deceased husband's brother, <laughs> should not have been reproached with a breach of prayer book rules. So how, how was she able to break all these rules? Well, firstly, she was charming, and Edward Lear famously said of her that all other women looked, looked like corpses beside her. <laughs> and secondly, she was fun. Um, she's widely credited with having introduced poker to the UK uh, through her friends in the American embassy. But probably most importantly, she was rich, very rich. Um, but thanks to her first two husbands, she inherited 11,000 acres in Essex, Somerset, and near Twickenham. And that came with three large country <coughs> houses. She had uh, Dudbrook in Essex. She had Harptree Court in Somerset and Strawberry Hill in Twickenham. And she also had a lot of her very handy coal mines, which brought lots of money with them. Um, but first and foremost, she was the proud daughter of her opera-singing father, John Braham, and this was something she was proud of and promoted throughout her life. Uh, and it's difficult today to get a sense of the fame of Braham in the 19th century. He was the country's leading singer, um, and really to give it a little bit of context, he was like a combination of Pavarotti as an opera singer, Michael Ball as a musical performer, <laughs> and Gary Barlow as a composer, <laughs> because he composed popular songs that were truly popular. So, for example, his Death of Nelson was said to be so moving that Emma Hamilton fainted when it was sung first in the theatre. So this was a really famous man. Uh, and he was famous as an embodiment of Jewishness. So when you look at his press articles, which Francis Braham made, you know, kept copies of throughout her life, he's constantly described uh, in context of his Jewish heritage. So a sweet singer of Israel, or in his obituaries, one of the many instances of that aptitude of the Jewish race for music, which can scarcely have escaped the notice of any observer of the present age. Uh, and his training... Uh, took place at the Great Synagogue in Duke's Place, 
according to popular myth, he was discovered by the cantor, Maya Leon, selling pencils on the street. Uh, he was recruited to the choir, um, and Maya Leon had a, a second life as an opera singer at Covent Garden, and he gave uh, Braham his debut at Covent Garden at the age of 13 in 1787, and from then his career developed. And he was helped all the way through by Jewish patrons, so in particular the Goldsmith Brothers, financiers, who not only paid for him to extend his training, uh, but they also uh, helped him manage his investments to such an extent that in the second part of his life he had a fortune of well over £10,000, which was able to help him foster his children's careers as well. Now, during the early part of his life, he lived with the Italian opera singer Nancy Storace and did many performances with her. But in 1816, he married the niece of his Manchester concert promoter, Francis Bolton, and he converted to Christianity. And shortly after this period, he received the patronage of the Duke of Sussex, who stood godfather to his eldest son. And he received a coat of arms, like many of the people that we've talked about today. And I'm interested in the symbolism and choices of those coats of arms. So he chose four holly leaves against a white background, with a lyre, possibly a symbol both of music and Jewish harp, you know, between two Talbots, dog's heads. don't know what that means, so it'd be great to have any feedback later from those who are more expert in heraldry than I. Um, and also his crest is rather amazing. It's the phoenix rising, which is probably appropriate for a child who, as I say, had began his career selling pencils on the street. Unfortunately, in the 1830s, he rather overreached himself with some massive investments. He built a theatre in St. James's, the St. James's Theatre, and he bought London's largest visitor attraction, the Colosseum, uh, in Regent's Park. And not surprisingly, he went rather spectacularly bankrupt soon afterwards. Um, and so he had to carry on performing for the whole of the rest of his life, right up until his 70s. Uh, and he was touring all over the world, over Europe and to America. And again, Francis Countess kept a copy of all his death notices. Uh, and they're very interesting and revealing because they not only give an indication of his fame up until the 1850s, but also the role which she had played in perpetuating his legacy and being known for being a loyal daughter to her father. Uh, and 1856, which is the year of his death, appears to have encouraged her to start thinking again about how she might use some of those houses that she had inherited. <coughs> and one of the first things she did was to begin thinking about improvements and extensions at Strawberry Hill. So on the right, in the, the white, you can see the wing that she inherited that was uh, built by Walpole. Uh, and on the left, you can see the wing that she designed and built herself. So this is uh, an interesting personal evocation of Gothicism, um, and she created a whole suite of entertaining rooms uh, connected to the gardens by the big black staircase you can see on the right uh, to enable to have, uh, to have garden parties of six to 700 people at a time so that she could use Strawberry Hill as a, a place of mass entertainment. And that process began shortly afterwards. Uh, and so just a little focusing in on those changes that she made at Strawberry Hill that are so personal to her. And you can see parts of her everywhere you look. Firstly, the Braham arms, those holly leaves, and the phoenix rising are emblazoned all over. You can see the, the, you know, the coats of arms at the top of the building. All the pinnacles have FW in gilded letters up at the top. Her face 
in profile is over doorways, very personal. And best of all, my favourite really, is she had a, a full-length statue of herself made on an octagonal rotating pedestal, which she placed in the chapel at Strawberry Hill. So, good for her. <laughs> and her initials are everywhere in the house. Uh, for example, top left... 1856, the year of her father's death, and stamped on the floor of the gallery where she put this expensive Viennese flooring base. And also, again, those brown coats of arms. See, again, those green and white holly leaves appearing in the stained glass all over the house. So here are many examples of her pride in her heritage and her ancestry. And Strawberry Hill, as well as a place of you know, mass entertainment for you know, six to 700 people at a time, was also a stage for the Brehm family to perform. So they had inherited the St. James's Theatre from their father. So she and her three brothers ran the theatre throughout this period. And three brothers were opera singers. So she had two tenor brothers and one bass brother, uh, all of whom were touring internationally throughout this period, uh, touring through Europe. And she would often accompany them on her tour. So she would be buying art while they were performing, both in France and in Italy and further afield. They also went to America. And this is one of them. Uh, on the left, you can see Charles Braham, who was tenor. So he was trained in Italy. He lived in Paris. He married a Neapolitan, Ma Madalena Cipolletti, who you can see on the right. So a, a bit of a sense of those international musical connections, which I think are very different for some of the other connections that we thought about today, of those international maybe banking relationships. This was an, an international community of performers um, who were associated with Strawberry Hill. But again, I think it was very brave of Frances Countess to continue that patronage. At those great gatherings, her brothers would typically perform. So there would be places where they would, you know, people would come to hear them singing as well. And that created mixed reactions. And even her own husband was quite critical of it. So, for example, he's described speaking to her brother Charles after one of these performances and said, um, Chichester Vorticue said that um, he was inconceivably hard and unsympathising without a shadow of the manner one would expect towards the favourite brother of his wife. On the contrary, patronising, and full of that covert insolence which says, you are an inferior being, you minister to the amusement of my class. He seemed to say, you, i.e. his wife, I admit, are an exception to the rules, but your brother is nothing to me. So, <laughs> a bit of the sense of that those mixed reactions, even within uh, her own family, in that case. Husband... Um, and again, soon after her father's death, Frances Countess began commissioning works of art to celebrate her father's heritage. Uh, so she commissioned a full-length portrait of him and his wife to hang in the big new drawing room at um, Strawberry Hill. And she also commissioned Edward Lear to go to the Holy Land and paint two massive views, one of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives and this one, a view of Masada, the ancient Jewish fortress, um, and there's an interesting letter um, from Lear uh, to Fortescue and Waldgrave um, explaining why he was recommending this would be a really good scene. He says, My reason for this choice is that not only I know the fortress of Masada to be a wonder of picturesqueness, but that I consider it as embodying one of the extremist developments of the Hebrew character, i.e. constancy of purpose and immense patriotism. This subject, I believe, will match Jerusalem well. So here she was choosing subjects to hang in these <coughs> new rooms at, Stra at Strawberry Hill, celebrating her Jewish heritage. And as well as those sort of European connections that we've talked about through performance, 
Uh, Frances Countess, uh, as she was reaching in the 1860s, really the apogee of her entertaining at Strawberry Hill, also fostered European connections of, of a different sort. So here she is, and you can see her uh, on the left in the black dress with the top, uh, painted by the French artist Louis Dessange in the drawing room which she had designed at Strawberry Hill. Uh, and the uh, picture is interesting because it, it painted in 1865, and it records her British political context. So sitting immediately behind her is the Prime Minister, Lord John Russell, and there are two members of the British Cabinet uh, in the picture. But there is also the Belgian ambassador, and more importantly for our sort of French connections theme, there are several members of the Orléans family in exile who were her friends and neighbours in Twickenham and who were frequently, or in fact always included, in almost every entertainment that she gave at Strawberry Hill. Uh, so on the left, with Beard, in the, uh, you can see uh, the Duc d'Aumal, who was the youngest son of Louis-Philippe. Uh, in the centre, his wife, Maria Carolina. Uh, and on the right-hand side, again with the beard holding the um, engraving, is the Comte de Paris, the heir of Louis-Philippe. Uh, and as I say, they had became close friends and neighbours in Twickenham and were really part of that social circle in which she moved. Um, so here he is, the Duc de Mal. Um, he moved to Twickenham in 1848 to Orleans House, where he assembled a large collection of his own works of art. And he was a close friend not only of Frances Countess, but of was her fourth husband, Chichester Fortescue. Together they were in the Philobiblion Society and collected books. Uh, and it, he began writing almost daily to Frances Countess, who he called Wawa, for short. <laughs> uh, and so they were really close and, and intimate friends, and there are endless correspondence between the pair, uh, which are preserved in the Somerset Record Office. Uh, and Frances Countess was also became extremely uh, close to his wife, who uh, was Neapolitan in origin, Maria Carolina. Uh, and this it shows her in one of the portraits that Frances Countess commissioned for the gallery at Strawberry Hill by another French artist, James Sant, um, which were part of a, a gallery of contemporary figures, important figures, many of them European and by European artists. Um, and again, there's an endless uh, correspondence between the two of their close friendship, advising each other on clothes, uh, on fashion, on friends, name it. Uh, and here is a picture of the gallery at Strawberry Hill during Francis Countess's lifetime. And as you can see, in those two sort of positions of honour either side of the fireplace, the uh, pictures of the Duc and Duchesse d'Aumal, um, amongst a whole group of other portraits by Saint of those uh, many, in fact, female figures of the time, people who she thought would be of influence. And interestingly, again, part of Frances Countess's sort of persona is she actively encouraged the lending of those portraits to contemporary exhibitions. So there was a completely toing and froing of pictures from Strawberry House to uh, contemporary exhibitions of important figures of the day. And finally, um, just a little bit of a reflection on Frances Countess's um, status as a uh, liberal salonniere, um, and, and also a, a bit of an understanding of why the Orleans family found it so uh, helpful to be part of those circles. Although she was primarily a liberal hostess, she was also a very inclusive hostess. So, for example, she was a great friend of Disraeli, who she found much more amusing than Gladstone. So she would include Tories as well as liberals. Uh, she obviously included musical performers. She also included literary figures. 
uh, and lots of journalists. And often these were journalists who she had initially cultivated because she wanted them to promote her theatre, the St. James's Theatre, but they were also very useful to promote her uh, various husband's political causes and indeed those of the Orleans family. Uh, who often as I said how grateful they were for Francis County's introducing her not only to people of social status and political status but also to journalists. But I think finally does they reflect on how she was viewed both positively and negatively by people of the day, I think it was, was quite mixed. Um, and I think the, the overall theme that seems to come through is that people may have initially approached her with an idea of prejudice but were invariably won over by personal contact and genuinely did become friends with her. And if we're talking about reciprocal invitations, she was constantly touring the great houses of England and staying with um, different people around the UK. So here is a contemporary reaction reported by Edward Lear. Uh, and he was told, again, this is by an anonymous contemporary. He didn't want to reveal who it was, but they wrote to him saying this. When Lady Waldegrave came, I met her in a spirit of prejudice and ignorance. But I recovered from that while she stayed and made herself known. She certainly is one of the most remarkable women of the day, which few give her credit for being. I don't know how to... Barbara told me, but now I cannot see the icon. <laughs> was there and is not there anymore. How to transform these in a kind of, I mean, large, larger text? It says usually it's on the top left. Ah, yes, maybe it's these. I have just to do that track. No. I think because it's a PDF rather than a PowerPoint. No, so I was working it. before. Yeah. Is it that thing? And then it should full screen. Ah, brava. <coughs> Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No. Track, track, track. Okay. Allora. Between 1884 and 1923, Strawberry Hill belonged to the Stearns, an influential family of German-Jewish descent whose considerable wealth was derived from uh, merchant banking and finance in the city of London. When he died in 1887, Hermann Baron Stern, head of the dynasty, who first purchased the Strawberry Hill estate, was the 13th richest man in England. Like Lady Walgrave before them, the Stearns became members of the Anglo-Jewish elite, moving in powerful social and political circles and enjoying the company of the Prince of Wales, later King Edward VII. Yet, despite his wealth and public profile, the Stearns family 40 years tenure at Strawberry Hill is one of the least documented of the house. A series of, of unfortunate events, which at the time caused a lot of sensation, subsequently cast a veil on the activities of the second generation of the family and culminated in the sale and breakup of Strawberry Hill. This paper aims to encourage further research on the social, architectural, and artistic history of Strawberry Hill and therefore to contribute to the history of Anglo Jewry in the 19th and 20th century. When Lady Walgrave, Walgrave died in September 1879, her fourth husband and widower, Lord Callingford, inherited her four houses, including Strawberry Hill. Lord Callingford could not bear to live at the villa, and in June 1883, the property was put up for sale. 
Six months later, it was bought by Baron Hermann de Stern. According to the Illustrated London News, Baron de Stern, uh, and I quote, intends to reside in the historic house and preserve the estate intact, end of quote. Strawberry Hill seems to have been intended to be used as an out-of-town residence, but there is no evidence that Baron de Stern ever lived there. Together uh, with the house, Calimfor sold to the Stern some of its valuable contents, and notably a number of Italian primitive paintings and Renaissance decorative arts, together with some modern piece of furniture. The Stern family uh, uh, originated from Frankfurt on the Main, where uh, the merchant banking business, Jacob S. H. Stern, was established in 1805. The sons of Jacob Stern founded business branches in Paris in 1835 and in London in 1844 as associated companies of the head office. I put here, these are examples of the French, the French branches. Just to say that in France, uh, the branch was, was based in Rue Lafitte, it was the typical bankers, uh, old banker. Um, uh, neighborhood, and, and the, the brother of Hermann, Antoine uh, Jacob Stern, he owned a, a chateau, uh, Le Monastère, that now is destroyed. His son owned another chateau, which again was something that exi existed. It was an aristocratic chateau, which was eventually um, uh, uh, acquired by the Stern. While the third son, that was Louis Stern, a very famous collector, he donated many things, many objects to the Cluny Museum and also to the Louvre, with his wife, uh, that is, uh, her name is, I forgot, Ernesta Stern, actually. She was of, Jew Jew of Jewish uh, Italian origin. Um, they built new uh, in South France, in this typical Gothic, uh, neo-Gothic uh, style. So this is just to give, and they were part of this circle of collectors like Efrussi, like Caen d'Anvers, again, like the Reynac, were part of this circle of Jewish collectors based in Paris. Just to give a context, a, a, an idea of what was the family on the other side of the uh, Manica, of the, how do you say, the canal. Um, the stone, uh, yes. Um, in London, Stern Brothers was soon to be recognized as one of the most successful bankers, uh, banking houses in the city. The Stern business played an important role in the international financial market as financer of several national and international bonds, including, among others, Portuguese uh, government bonds. In the summer of 1864, Hermann Stern was created baron by the King of Portugal in recognition of his services. Baron de Stern was a member of the Anglo-Jewish Association of the Jews Free School and held the directorship of, Imperial, of the Imperial Bank, the Bank of Romania, the London and San Francisco Bank, and the East London Water Works Company. The Stern were directly related to the most uh, prominent families of Sephardic, Sephardic uh, Anglo-Jewry. Herman had four children who all made successful marriage but two in particular had a direct influence on Strawberry Hill. His daughter, Laura, who married David Lionel Salomons of Tunbridge Wells in Kent, and Herbert Stern, future Lord Michelin, who, in 1899, married Aimé Geraldine Bradshaw, daughter of Octavius Bradshaw, a justice of peace from Devon. 
and already at the end of the 19th century, the Stern uh, were actually very well established in London. They had many houses and they were keen hosts and had contact with many uh, important figures from the, I mean, literary, artistic, and scientific figures of the time. In this case, we have, we have two portraits, which are now in Townbridge Hill, uh, of, the, of the two daughters of Stern. And these uh, portraits were realized by this painter called James Sant, which uh, Nino has mentioned before, also in the case of Lady Walgrave. And Sant is a very, kind of, not very much researched painter, which is comparable to someone like uh, Leon Bonnat in, uh, in France, very interesting painter of portraits, and portraits of this wealthy um, social class. So it would be interesting to explore further these, the activity of these artists that were very fashionable at the time. Um, Herman de Stern died only uh, three years after acquiring the Strubel Hill estate, which in October 1887 was conveyed to his widow, the Baroness Julia de Stern. This latter first mortgaged the entire estate to Sir David Lionel Salomon, her son-in-law, and only in 1898 to a still unmarried son, Herbert. In this case, we see this is the tower of uh, his Baron de Stern clock, uh, tower, which is in the campus of St. Mary University, is an impressive tower actually, very little studied, very little research, that the sun uh, bequeathed to the um, Palace of People in uh, Eastern London to commemorate his father, and his father uh, heavily invested in a white chapel that is a, a Jewish uh, neighborhood in the eastern part of London. And uh, Herbert and his brother-in-law, David Salomon, we have mentioned before, shared many interests. And here we can see, uh, I mean, it's a very interesting connection between Strawberry Hill and these uh, Tunbridge Wells, that is, this house. Unfortunately, it's only partially open to the public, but there is this wonderful museum. And David Salomon was a very, a very interesting figure. And what I found very interesting is that, actually, David and Herman shared this interest for cars. This is Strawberry Hill, was the first show of the automobile club in England. And David was the owner of one of the only two cars at the time in the country. And also, at Tunbridge, there is this fantastic, gigantic, electronical orchestra. And, uh, and in a scientific theater is an amazing, an amazing creation. And I found out that Strawberry Hill, there were two orchestras, gigantic orchestras, now untraced. But just this is to, to show you also about modernity and interest in technology, which was another shared uh, aspect. Um, in June uh, 1899, Stern married Emma Geraldine Brescia. He was 47, she was 17. They married at St. George Church and Nova Square. It was described as a quiet wedding, presumably because of the difference of age, of religion, and also because Herbert Mothers had just died. Evidence showed that the married couple used Strawberry Hill in the 20th century increased dramatically, and this despite the fact they owned several homes uh, in London, as well as a country estate at Himber Court and Miquelon Priory in Sussex, and of course, a huge apartment in the, uh, in the earth of Paris. This is 26 Prince Gate uh, interiors, which was commissioned by Herman. Princess Gate is near the V&A, to give you an example, and it was really a very fashionable area at the time. And this marble staircase, which is really impressive with the statues, I mean, it was a really dramatic, and was, and the decor design was done by Herbert Hans. They were very fashionable and expensive at the time. In any case, this still survived, which is quite rare. And um, 
1905, Herbert III was raised to the peerage, becoming the first Lord Mickleham of Ellingley. It is after this date that evidence emerged which suggests that Strawberry Hill began once again to glitter. One of the few photographic records to survive of the house from the early 20th century was produced in 1903 and 1905 issues of the Sketch magazine and was illustrated with exteriors of the house and details of some of the rooms. These pictures show a well-maintained property used for regular habitation. In 1905, Lord Wickham alongside the Lord Rothschild, Swietling and Wandsworth, Elberstern cousin, was one of four Jewish members of the House of Lords, but unlike most of his Jewish political peers and members of his family, Mikhailan was a Tory. It is thanks to his passion for horse racing that Lord Mikhailan became good friend to, of Edward VII while he was Prince of Wales and subsequently one of his economic advisors. Lord Mikhailan was a renowned breeder and his estate in Bercourt provided the trotting course for his horses. Um, Lord and Lady Mickleham uh, garden parts at Strawberry Hill held for Conservative Party and London Munici Municipal Society meetings because uh, Herbert Herman became eventually the elderman for London County Council for the Moderate Party during uh, this period, became a regular appointment in the social cal calendar. Napolitan singers and dancers, Denise bands, Japanese artists, exotic attractions and ephemeral festival architecture displayed in the garden were among the main attractions. Lord Horace Fakar, master of the household of uh, Edward, to Edward VII, um, in 1912 organized with Lady Mickleham a reception for the Conservative Party with a performance staged by the Russian ballet, uh, ballet dancer uh, Pavlovla. Strawberry Hill was described by contemporaries who attended the party as a park from top to bottom with beautiful things. And a quote from the London Standard. Lady Mickleham, wearing several feet only of the 19 yards of purse in her possession, <laughs> persuaded Pavlova and Nijiski, Nijiski is not true, it's not, it wasn't there, to <laughs> dance on an elevated platform at her famous house, Strawberry Hill in Twickenham, once the home uh, of Horace Walpole. And here we have this fabulous portrait by Boldini, again, one of the portraits of, uh, I mean, this leisure. Um, um, class and uh, Boldini was uh, was based in Paris and this is another interesting thing. Probably this portrait was taken nineteen or uh, uh, late uh, nineteen seventeen. So when the Miklan were, were already again living in in Paris extensively. But you see the path. This was the pay, the point I wanted to make. Um, the Duvin brothers, now we talk about art. The Duvin brothers of Jewish-Dutch origin were among the most important art dealers of the first half of the 20th century. They started off their activities as interior designers and eventually gained international fame for selling French antique furnishings, objects of art, and eventually all master paintings to American collectors for record prices. According to journalist Colin Simpson, author of a book about the secret association between the Duvin brothers and the famous Jewish art critic Bernard Berenson, Lord Mickleham and Emma Bretcher met at Epson races in 1898, having been introduced by Ernest Duvin. That day, Herbert not only met Geraldine, whose nickname was in Duvin's code book Cupid, but also Jefferson Davis Cohn, a descendant of the American president an adventurer described as an ubiquitous lounge lizard. His main function was to procure wealthy clients for the Duvins and for Horatio Botany. The latter was 
an editor and actually was the editor of Sketch. So I wonder why these people, Mickelman, they always um, on Sketch. Uh, rich, uh, and a rich promoter specializing in formy speculative joint stock companies was also present. Three months after the meeting, M.A. and Herbert were married. Jefferson Davis Cohn had become Stern secretary. Bottomley is partner and advisor in the breeding business, and Duveen had found one of his most prolific clients ever. Duveen set about educating M.A. in matters of taste of an old things fashionable in France. And they provided, of course, all the uh, fixture and fittings for all the Michelin's uh, uh, houses. Herbert, like his French family, has a large collection of fashionable 18th century French antique furniture, paintings and portraits, porcelain, but also invested heavily in Georgian portraits by Constable, Gainsborough, Romney, and Lawrence. Their interest in British and French art was not limited to the portraits of fine arts, as they were also interested in history. For instance, they owned one of Napoleon's armchair and purchased the ring given by Queen Elizabeth to the Lopezes. And this is a link to Walpole and uh, Walpole antiquarianism. Here we have a few examples of the art that uh, the, 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 the Stern were buying post here. This is a famous Pre-Raphaelite uh, uh, sculpture that actually is still is to read, completely new. Oh, yeah, okay. And, uh, and this is a painting by Romney. And I'm not sure which one, there are three versions. And it's just to show you I mean, how well uh, displayed in the house. And, uh, and what, what obviously all this was purchased through the Duveen. This is a very famous portrait, uh, and Lady De Paul Pinky by Romney. It was one of, it cost to the Duveen 40,000 uh, pounds, it was one of the uh, most expensive paintings of the time, and the Stern got it, and it was displayed in the main gallery at Strawberry Hill. And this is just to show you another, uh, this is the tribune at Strawberry Hill, the kind of furniture, we have table, chiffonier, 18th century uh, French furniture, so Ancien Regime, and again, these are uh, design made by Boucher for um, cartoons for uh, uh, tapestry. And these are obviously now scattered in all the most famous American collection because Duveen, they were selling but also buying and reselling. And, uh, and this is to say that Stern uh, uh, also had, uh, I mean, was a philanthrope and made a lot for the nation. In one case, he had National Gallery too by the Rockaby Venus that is famous for other reasons. And also, he paid for this uh, uh, chariot of, uh, um, that is on, on the top of the Wellington Arch. He paid like 40,000 uh, pounds, and the, the person here is his son. So when he was years, uh, 11 years old. This is to say that eventually the Miklam, um, I mean, uh, Brumley made a, a, a bankruptcy, so, uh, and Stern was heavily involved. This meant that they left more or less Strubrick here and they moved to France. In France, uh, they, they live here in 23 Rue Nitot, that will become, with Lloyd George, will be, become during the war the department from where uh, the English were um, directing all the operation during the war. And uh, here, they kept doing parties and they kept having fun. But at the same time, in the war, they, they will actually provide the national and the English troops with like buying this Hotel Astoria in Paris that was then uh, transformed in an hospital. And again, on the sketch, Lady Michelin, she, she is shown as one of the patriots. And, um, and no, that's done. I mean, it's, uh, it's to say that uh, eventually it's done. I know. The scandal, sorry, the last, the last, no, 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 I forgot about it. No, 
son of Lady Mikran, who was the son of Jefferson Cohn. And this was a huge scandal during the, because they eventually they found out that her and Cohn were, uh, they became the only, I mean, they, they had the will of Lord Mikran now dying in the hands. And also she, she made a plot in order to transmit the title not to the first son, the son of Lord Mikran, but to the son of Cohn. So, and this, all this was on the newspapers. This, I think, is the reason why um, uh, Hill, I mean, the memory of the star Strawberry Hill is really very little known. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Thank you. <laughs>